0: We're going to read from Daniel chapter 5. The title of the message is twofold. Is the handwriting on the wall or is the party almost over? Daniel chapter 5 beginning in verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines may drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another." The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was king Belshazzar greatly troubled his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now, if you'll look down to verse 25. And this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, of Aforsan. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. You notice that's said twice. Tico, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. At the outset of the message again, and I know what I said a moment ago, but as we start this message, I want to share a couple of verses of scripture with you from the Psalms. Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the other one is from Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell all the nations that forget God. Two very powerful verses of scripture that we need to keep in mind as we go through this message this morning. You know, there was a time that we were happy and blessed as a nation. I'm thankful that I got to grow up in those times. You know, we didn't worry about terrorism. Maybe we should have, but we didn't. And we just sort of lived life from day to day. God was at least in our thoughts if he wasn't in our hearts. You know, there was a time when even people who didn't know Christ the Savior had a respect and a reverence toward God and the things of God. I don't think you see that in our nation today. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. There was room for God in most homes. Maybe it was a prayer before a meal. Maybe it was a prayer before bedtime. But there was at least some mention of God in most homes there was room for God in the classroom. Of course, that was ruled unconstitutional many years ago. And I think we've seen the effects of that. There was room for God in the courtroom. Amen. I know that was ruled also unconstitutional because you, you might influence a jury if you've got the Ten Commandments you know, <laughs> hanging on the wall of the courtroom. That might have some effect on people. And so we can't do that. And then there was room for God in the state house. We had peoples in positions of leadership who, whether they knew Christ as Savior or not, at least had enough, again, respect and reverence toward the people of God and the things of God and God Himself that they acknowledged Him in their doings. And sadly today we have turned 180 degrees and we're going into completely... Opposite direction. I shared with the Sunday school class a headline. You'll know I'm a headline reader. I read a headline just yesterday that said, Even among evangelical Christians, a great number are beginning to ignore the core concepts of Christianity. You get what that's saying? People like us. Well, no, they're not like us, are we? I hope we're not like them. But people who profess Christ, people who profess Christians are beginning to ignore what the Bible says in order, I think, to attract the world or to be attractive to the world or to try to fit into this society that is going away from God. Our condition in America, I think, resembles that of ancient Babylon. As we read here in these verses in Daniel chapter 5. And I think some of the events at Belshazzar's feast give us an idea of and some insight into what's going on in America. But the first thing I want us to notice here in Daniel chapter 5 is the corrupt condition that existed in Babylon. The corrupt condition that existed in Babylon. At this time Belshazzar is the king. That name Belshazzar means the king Bel protected. Now Bel is a false god. Bel is a pagan god, and he was named after this pagan god, and he was co-regent of Babylon. Very possibly, because the scripture refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father, very possibly he was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, that was done sometimes. A head of a family would be called the father of that family. And so, Belshazzar was probably the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And for some reason, we don't know why, The Bible doesn't tell us. It's not important for us to know if the Bible doesn't tell us, right? But for some reason, he decided to have a great feast. Now, I can suggest some reasons that I think he might have had a great feast. He wanted to show off who he was, and he wanted to show off what he had. And he was just so filled with his ego, and he was so filled with himself that he wanted to call all of these other important people to Babylon to show them who he was and, and things that I mentioned. And so he has this great feast. And as we read, we see what went on in the feast. First of all, there was drunkenness. You look at what it says. He says they drank. That speaks not just of drinking alcoholic beverages, but the idea of this word drink means carousing, drunkenness. Here's what he said. He said, we're going to have a drinking banquet. Why don't y'all come on? All right. And so he had this great feast, this great banquet with the whole purpose of drinking and getting drunk. Here's a pagan king who sought to entertain his guests at his feast by getting them drunk. And that would not have been unusual in that day. However, in his drunken condition and in his drunken feast that he's having, it led him to do some things that defiled and demeaned God and invited the wrath of God upon him and upon his whole nation. Next, there was disrespect or irreverence toward God. You look at verses 2 and 3. While he's drinking the wine and while they're having the feast, verse 3 says, They brought in the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. Now, He's wanting them in for a special, not to honor God. That's not why he's bringing those in. He wants to drink out of them. He wants to, again, show what he has taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And so he calls for these things to be brought in. Now, what's the importance of these vessels? Are they just vessels? No. They were vessels that were dedicated in the worship and the service of God. They had been, if you will, going to our lessons tonight, they had been sanctified, they had been set apart for a very special use. And now here this pagan king is taking them and using them in an unsanctified manner. Now, folks, the world's taken a lot of things that were set apart to God. And the world's churches have taken a lot of things that are set apart to God. And the world is using them for their pleasure. And we, the people of God, sit back and say nothing. We tend to just ignore it. But here's what Belshazzar is doing. It is a defilement of the things that were created for sanctified use. Things that were created for the use, again, in the worship and in the service of God. He's taken the things of God and made them part of a pagan party. And that's a lot of what's going on in religion today. There's a reason I don't like that word religion Because it refers to anything and everything. Not things that are set apart and sanctified to God. Now he's revealed in in his actions. He's revealed his contempt. He's revealed his disrespect for God. And he further disrespects the things of God. Because you look at verse 4 and here's what happens. They drank wine and Praise the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. You see what he's doing? He's taking the things of God and he's using the things of God that were sanctified to God to use them in idol worship. And that's going on in a lot of religion today. You know, I want so bad to say some things. And I know somebody will say, say it, right? The same one in Sunday school this morning who said, say it. But that's what a lot of so-called preachers are doing today, folks. They're taking the Word of God, and they're twisting the Word of God, and they're supplying the Word of God to benefit them. It's the same as pagan worship. It's the same as idol worship. And finally, and this is what always happens, false worship follows. That's what they're doing. They're following, they're worshiping false gods. But as we look at Babylon and we consider what was going on in this feast of Belshazzar, the next thing we need to understand is our current condition. I'm talking about our nation. I said I love this nation. In a great way, I love this nation. But listen, folks, America is not what she once was in relation to God and I do not believe this nation is pleasing to God in the condition that she is in today. America, first of all, is drunk today. Our nation is drunk. Do you realize that Americans spend over 90 billion dollars each year on alcoholic beverages? 90 billion dollars. Over 15 million Americans are dependent upon alcohol. That means they can't get through the day without a few drinks. They can't get through the day without alcohol. 500,000 of these, now our figure is 15 million, 500,000 of these, get this, are between the ages of 9 and 12. Shocking, isn't it? Young children that are dependent upon alcohol. The average American consumes, I'm glad you're not average, I don't think you are. I hope you're not average, okay, in this sense. The average American consumes 25 gallons of beer, 2 gallons of wine, and and 1.5 gallons of distilled spirits yearly. You know, you never know when you get out on the highway, and you're driving along 70 miles an hour on the interstate, and that car coming up beside you, or maybe you're on a county road or a state road, and car coming toward you, you don't know what they're on. You don't know what they have been drinking. Each year students, okay, each year students spend five and a half billion dollars on alcohol. That's more than they spend on soda and tea and milk and juice and coffee and books combined. Our colleges have become not institutions of higher learning, Many of our colleges today have become party factories. And that's the idea of so many college students is go to college and and just have fun, just have a party. I'm out from under mom and dad now. I can do what I want to do. And maybe even if somebody grew up in church and they profess Christ at a young age and they get out from under mom and dad and they get into the party atmosphere of college, they fall into that and destroy their lives. Alcohol is involved in 50% of all traffic fatalities. In fact, I read something just the other day that said this weekend, the 4th of July weekend, that about 50% of all crashes will be due to consuming alcohol. Every 30 minutes, you can just check your watch if you want to, but about every 30 minutes on average, someone is killed in an alcohol-related traffic accident there's no wonder why we have we still i hope you do we still adhere to a church covenant and a part of that covenant is that we won't have anything to do with alcohol for drinking we might need some alcohol for some cleansing reasons or something but not in taking it and imbibing in it alcohol is involved in many if not most domestic situations when the police show up at a house, one or both of those that they talk to will have been drinking. And each year, a typical young person, just look around at some of our young people, a typical young person is inundated with more than a thousand ads for beer and other alcoholic beverages and sees several thousand fictional drinking incidents on television. We're drunk. We're teaching our young people that it's okay, there's nothing wrong with it. And yet, at least this church, I can't speak for any other, this church has agreed by our covenant, we're not going to have anything to do with it. But along with being drunk in the usual sense, we're drunk with power. Now, I'm going to say this first, I'm proud of our young men and women who are serving in our military. I'm proud of our older men and women who have served in our military but folks we depend more upon our military than we depend upon God Amen. we just had a lesson from first samuel that chapter that eighth chapter where the people of israel said to samuel we want a king god had been leading them and they said we want a king we want him to go out and fight our battles I pointed out, by the way, the king was going to take their young men and put them in his army to go out and fight their battles. But who had been fighting their battles before? God had been. And when they were obedient to him, they were victorious. When they were disobedient to him, they weren't victorious. But they said, we want a king that we might be like everybody else, that we might be like all of the nations. Now, again, I'm proud of our military. I'm thankful for our military. But in depending upon them, we need to depend upon God first and foremost. If might and technology is all that we have, folks, we're in danger of defeat. Psalm 146, verse 3 says this. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy is the one who turns to God. Happy is the nation that looks to God. Psalm 20 verse 7 reminds us this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It's okay to be thankful for our military. And to trust in the technology and the might that we have but not when we just refuse to trust in God and lay him aside because of these things. America is not only drunk with power, we're drunk with pride. I'll say more about that in just a moment, but we're so full of pride as a nation, folks, we don't even have room for God anymore. Today, America is drunk on anything and everything that's opposite of the character and the nature of God. But not only is America drunk, America is disrespectful. That word disrespectful means irreverent. I love the dictionary. You go and look up the word irreverent and it says showing lack of reverence. So you go over and you look at reverence and it says odd respect, okay? We have no respect. We have no reverence toward God. Remember, Belshazzar took vessels that were dedicated to the worship of God and he used them in his drunken feast. He had no respect for the things of God. He had no reverence toward God. He was disregarding and degrading what was God's. How are God's word, the Lord's churches, God's people looked upon today, even by some who profess Christ as Savior? See, there be many that will view this message as very narrow and very bigoted and very ignorant simply because I'm preaching the word of God. I'm saying what the word of God says. The word's viewed with disregard and disrespect today. The authority of the word of God. By the way, I shared this on Facebook the other day. I'll share it with you now. The Bible is the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God. It's not opinion. It's God's word. So you know what? I'm going to take God's word over your opinion any day, any time. Okay? But the word of God is viewed with disregard and disrespect, and its authority is denied By the masses. Again, many times people will say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. Here's what I think. Or I know what the Bible says, but here's what I'm going to do. Totally disregarding the word of God. Many times the Bible is ignored or the Bible is changed to fit our lifestyle. We're not supposed to mold ourselves to society, folks. We're supposed to mold society to the word of God. Amen. Well, churches have got it backwards today. Most people have a take it or leave it attitude toward the Lord's churches. Look around you this morning. And I'm going to, y'all pardon me, I'm going to talk to folks on live stream for a moment. all right? If you're a member of this church and you're not providentially hindered, you just ought to be here. And if you choose to do something else and you think it's more important than God or God's word or the Lord's church, I'm gonna pray for you, pray that the Lord will convict your heart so heavy and will give you no peace and no rest until you get right with God. Amen. We're talking about people who profess Jesus Christ and you know how they're saying, Jesus Christ, my Lord and savior. Listen, if you're not following him, if you're not obeying him, he is not your Lord. There may have been a time that you turned to him in repentance and put your faith in Christ to be saved. But if you're not following him, he's not your Lord. And Jesus wants to be both Lord and Savior. There was a time when even the buildings that the Lord's churches met in were considered out of bounds or considered special. By out of bounds, I mean you didn't deface, you didn't mar, you didn't damage any part of a building where God's people met quite often we pick up trash out of our front yard. Someone came by, I don't know when and I don't know who, and bashed in our mailbox out front. No regard. Oh, it's just a church, right? They'll deface them, they'll throw their trash around in them, and even among many saved church members, the church is often not considered special. We're not talking about the building now when we're talking about the church. We're talking about the body. You know, we've been in this discussion whether the pastor's going to take a vacation or not. I don't want to leave this body, folks. I don't want to be apart from you. I love you. I want to be here with you. You're my family. You're my heart, okay? And so we ought to consider the Lord's church that way. Listen, if you say, I love Jesus, but you have no regard for his body, which is a New Testament church, I think you need to check your salvation. You can't love the head if you don't love the body. And if you love the head, you're going to love the body. If all you did is get your name on a church roll thinking that would impress God, I got news for you. You missed the point. And dedicated believers, how are they portrayed on television and in the movies? just as some hypocrite, some dishonest, some hateful person who just hates everybody and everything except themselves. America is demeaning. And America is deluded with her pride. I said we're going to talk about pride. We're a proud people strutting our way into hell. You know, there are people who say, oh, it's America, we're a Christian nation. Well, I don't even know about that anymore. But there's a pride in presuming that we are all-powerful. That we can't be touched. There's also pride in our sin. And in the sins of this nation. Which God calls abomination. We'll get to that in a moment. Nationally we are fit for God's chastisement. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Our pride has turned into arrogance. As a nation. Just like Belshazzar's did. And many times we as a nation. Think we know better than God we've put him out of our schools and look what's happened in the schools. We have violence. We have drug use. We even have school shootings. Students bringing guns to school. Part of it is because we put God out of our schools. You know what we brought in? We've had to bring the police in. We Put God out, bring the police in. And I tell you what, our school day, I know I'm old, all right? Thank you. But when I was growing up, here's how we started the school day, and some of you started it this way too, with a scripture reading and with a prayer and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. You know they can't do that anymore? In fact, if they take the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, if some child doesn't want to stand up, they don't have to. The teacher You know one of the reasons teachers are having problems in schools? Because all their authority has been taken away from them. I was talking to a gentleman just Friday night. And we were talking about that very thing. And he was saying this. And I agree wholeheartedly with him. This respect for authority is learned first in the home. And if moms and dads are not teaching respect for authority in the home, when those children go to school, they're not going to respect the teacher's. They're not going to expect the rules. When those children get out on the street, they're not going to respect the law or the officer that is charged with enforcing that law. Respect for authority is taught, first of all, in the homes. By the way, if you got in trouble at school, well, we had a rule. And I knew this full well. You get in trouble at school or you get in trouble at church, you're in trouble when you get home. Our mom and daddy didn't run to the school and get on to the teacher. Mom and daddy didn't run to the school and get on to the principal and tell the principal how bad he was and what a poor job he was doing if we got in trouble at school. If we got in trouble at school, we were in trouble the minute we got home. And folks, we put God out of our government. And you know why? So we can bring the pagan and the satanic in. I don't know if it has happened. I knew that I know that they wanted it to happen, letting a satanic priest open session of Congress with his so-called prayer. I don't know if this has taken place or not yet, but I know that was something that was being considered. Good old God bless America, you know, allowing the satanic in. We have presidents who consulted astrologers and psychics and all sorts of things instead of consulting God. And we may one day see a president who will try to replace God with a pseudo-false God. And there are many of them out there. And many times our Supreme Court seems totally opposed to God with their rulings. I believe if they thought they could do it, they'd declare hell unconstitutional uh, as cruel and unusual punishment. Folks, I don't believe what's going on in America is what our founding fathers envisioned when this country began. We have people who have become educated beyond their own intelligence to the point that they deny God. They deny the evidence of the existence of God. They deny that God created everything. Listen to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21 because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Doesn't that sound like us today? We're so smart that we're too smart for God professing themselves to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We're full of our pride. We're full of ourselves. And America is drowning in promiscuity. See, when power and pride cause you to forget God and trust self and replace Him, it's going to lead to an ungodly lifestyle and many times that's promiscuity. What is promiscuity? That's just what you look around you, It's what's going on today. We are beset by the most casual attitude towards sex that I have ever seen. I lived through the free love and flower child days of the hippie 60s, okay? If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, right? I mean, that was the attitude of the day. That's what they sang. It's setting the stage. It was setting the stage for what we're seeing today. We have children who are having children whose parents or grandparents are having to raise those children because of the promiscuity in this nation. In our day, it was a disgrace, it was a shame for a young girl to get pregnant out of wedlock. But today, we hold a ho hum casual attitude toward it. Why do young people, especially, or why do people, especially young people, have such a casual attitude? Toward six because God's been left out of their lives now people may go to church but that doesn't guarantee goodness I don't care how many times you walked an aisle and I don't care how many churches whose role you have your name on I don't care how many times you've been dunked in the water if you've never repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you you are lost and when you die you're going to open your eyes in hell That's Bible. That's what the word of God says. We are surrounded by sex on every hand. I'll say more about that in a moment. But this casual attitude toward men and women has led to the practice of adultery. And God condemns adultery in his word. Mates cheating on one another is glorified in our entertainment. It's many times the central plot line of stories or movies that we see It seems okay to shack up just a few years before marriage. You say, you're getting awful plain. Well, it's time to be plain, folks. Many want to play house without the commitment and the responsibility that comes from being a a maid, a spouse, a person who is wed to someone else. The responsibility of marriage. And what happens when that goes on, when they get tired of the one they're with, what do they do? Just move on. I'll move out and I'll move on and leave you with children to raise. We've forgotten what till death do us part means. I know this is personal, but come Wednesday we'll celebrate 49 years of marriage. Doesn't seem that long, does it? Seems like it ought to be 10 or 12, you know. Have we always agreed on everything? No. Have there been times, I've never gotten upset with my wife, right? (laughs) Have there been times she's been upset with me? I'll let you answer that. Don't give me that look. (laughs) But folks, 49 years ago, we made a commitment. Till death, do us part. And it ought to be that way. We have forgotten that in America today. It may sound old-fashioned, but God established one man... And one woman, by the way, God only established two sexes. One man and one woman till death do us part. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Matthew 19, Jesus is speaking, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Pause for effect right there, okay? And said for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. Without her I'm half a person. Okay. Without me she's half a person. Together we're one. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. This casual attitude toward sex has led to another sin, which God calls abomination, and that's homosexuality. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. And I know people say, well, that was Old Testament. That was under the law. Well, if you look to the book of Genesis, the 19th chapter, verses 4 through 11, you know what you find? That same thing going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed those cities because of it. And that was before the Mosaic law ever came into being. Leviticus 20.13, if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. Deuteronomy 23.17, there shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. We're ignoring the word of God today. What God calls abomination, we're calling okay today. When you forget God and get filled with pride, you're given first to impurity. Listen back to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God... We're doing that today, into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. But here's what happened. That talk, I think is pointing toward sort of a heterosexual immorality, but listen to what happens: Once heterosexual promiscuity fails to satisfy the lust of the flesh, there's one other left. And that's homosexual promiscuity. That's the next logical step in the progression downward. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. Does that need explanation? I don't think so. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And you know what that does? That produces a land that is ripe for the judgment of God. Verse 29 in Romans 1, "...being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful." who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Does that sound like America today? And you know why? You know where it started? When we recognized that there was a God. We didn't glorify him as God. We worshiped something else. Another mark of our promiscuous society is our entertainment. How did Belshazzar entertain his guests? Well, you look at verse 3. He had his wives and concubines come in. Now, there's every indication in these verses that what we're talking about is a drunken orgy, is what he had. Get all the women in here. We're, you know, we get them drunk, we're drunk, and let's just have an orgy. And with what's going on in The movies and even on television today, folks, our youth and our young adults are learning from it. Hollywood is being used to destroy the sensitivity of Christian young people, especially to the sins that God calls vile. That's our current condition. Right quickly, let me give you our coming calamity. Because I want you to know God put an end to Belshazzar's party. Look at verse 5. In the same hour, that means in the middle of the party, okay, a hand appears. And I don't know whether it's God's hand or just a hand or whatever, but a hand appears and begins writing on the wall. Now, how would you react if you were having a party and right in the middle of the party, a hand shows up and starts writing on the wall? Well, look at verse 6. It tells you how Belshazzar reacted. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. His knees began to knock. Folks, that's how scared he was. you ever been that scared before? That your knees knock. Well, his did. And the hand wrote and spelled out, Mene, Mene, Tico liufasen. And verse 25 gives us the interpretation, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and finished it. What you saying, get ready, God's bringing it to a close. And as I pointed out when we read that, he says it twice. Now listen, when the Bible says something twice, it's not just because God's repeating himself because he forgot what he just said. It means you better get ready, it's coming right now. It's serious business when God says it twice. One right behind the other. Tickled, you've been weighed in the balances. You've been judged by God and been found wanting, lacking, insufficient. Peresopharsen, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. If you were the king and you got that kind of news, how would you react? I'd be scared to death. Now look down to verse 30. We didn't read it, but look at verse 30 because God didn't wait around. In that night, got that? In that Night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. God gave him the message and then God sent the enemy in. And he was slain. I'm afraid that the hand of God writing on the wall for America today, folks. And I'm afraid the party is almost over. God's numbered our days and finished it. We've been weighed in the balances and we've been found wanting. I believe this quote is accredited to Billy Graham that if God doesn't chase an America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. On 9 11, 2001, God showed that our might's not as great as we might think. Folks, he removed the hedge. We know what happened on that date. We've been involved in at least two wars, and and I don't care what you call it, when people are shooting at you and you're shooting back at them, that's a war. We've been involved in at least two wars in the Middle East since then. Many of our valiant young men and women have been taken from us because of these wars. And there's always the monetary cost of war. We understand that. We have an enemy... A sworn enemy today who's fighting a religious war, and we don't get it. Because we don't understand anymore. We've forsaken God. We turned our backs on God. Well, it's just their way of life against ours. No, they are fighting for their religion. And let me tell you somebody that fights for their religion is much more fierce in fighting for their religion than somebody who's just fighting a battle. We've lost respect as a nation around the world, especially due to our sinfulness. We have leaders. I like to call them public servants because that's what we elect them to be, but they seem to think they have a position above us. But we have leaders who will only give a cursory acknowledgement to God if they will acknowledge Him at all. We've had to deal with COVID. And we don't know what else is coming down the pike. I read something a few weeks back that said, oh, there's a horrible, horrible flu outbreak in Australia and Americans better get ready for it. We don't know what's planned for us. And on top of these things, I think we can see God affecting our economy with inflation and shortages. I would say loss of jobs, but just that many people today don't want to work and we can see the internal effects of crime and violence. I was talking to someone, I've forgotten who it was just the other day, about our city. And you know, years ago, you didn't hear about people getting shot out in shopping center parking lots, or just somebody goes up to somebody's apartment or somebody's house and just decides to shoot them. We have become a violent people, even in a town this small. Used to those things happened far away. But they're happening in our own backyard today. And we can see the effects of our sinfulness in the Lord's churches. But the decreased attendance. I'm thankful for you. I'm glad you're here. But we have people who up until just a month or two or three ago, were attending regularly and now they're gone. I don't know where they are. Try to contact them. No response. And decreased offerings. I don't preach much on giving. But that goes with a poor economy and decreased attendance. And it seems that many times there's only a passing interest in the things of God. It's okay just to show up once a week and do my church thing. Give God his, tip him his few hours on Sunday morning and then go on and do what I want to do. What if you only ate one day a week? Be pretty weak, wouldn't you? I don't have time for Bible study. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for witnessing. Do you realize since 1973, let me get the figure right, since 1973 there have been over 63 million abortions in the United States. Now see, we understand the Bible to teach that a child who has not reached the age of accountability when that child dies, where is that child going? To heaven. Safe under the blood of Jesus. Based on that, do you realize the abortionists are sending more people to heaven than God's people in America are? Think about that. The chastisement of God is a terrible thing to fall into. In fact, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 12 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Folks, I don't want to see God's chastening hand on this nation. But I'm afraid we're going to. Well, Brother Jim, what do we need? Well, so I don't sound like a prophet of doom and gloom only. 2 Chronicles 7.14. We just had this in the Sunday school class this morning. But before I quote that verse, let me tell you what Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 7 to Israel when they wanted to get back right with God. He said, you've got to do it with your whole heart. If you do return unto the Lord with your whole heart. He said you've got to put away the strange gods that are among you. That's your idols. And you've got to come to God and, and, and you've got to seek him. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people. This is not to America. This is to God's people in America. Amen. Okay. God's not addressing all those lost folks out there. That are living just a natural life. Because all, that's all the flesh has in it. But he's addressing me and you and every other child of God. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. And that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Well, I'm all right. I was at church Sunday. I listened to the preacher. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Here's the next hard thing to do. And turn from their wicked way. You got to give it up. And turn from their wicked way. Then, then after you do these things, then, this is one of God's conditional promises, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7, at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I pronounce turn from their evil... I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them." Folks, we need to pray for our people that are their positions of leadership. First Timothy chapter two, the first four verses, pray for kings and for all that are in authority. You know why? That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. We who are saved need to be revived for the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about three or five nights of special services. I told the Sunday school class a pastor at one church Third week of July was our week for revival every year. It's carved in stone. You couldn't have it any other time, but we're going to have revival. Well, we have a series of services, okay. We never had revival while I was there. We're going to have revival third week. No. I'm not talking about special services. Here's what I'm talking about. A heartfelt, Holy Spirit-led Down in the dirt, okay, sackcloth and ashes, right? Down in the dirt, confession to God, life-changing revival, rededication, recommitment to him that loved us and gave himself for us and saved us. And that's got to come on the part of God's people, God's faithful people. See, some people are God's people and they're not faithful. But it's God's people who must have that kind of revival if we ever expect To see anything change in America today. So I'm going to close with a question. Are we willing, as God's people, are we willing to be revived or are we willing to say goodbye to America? And listen, I have children and you do too, grandchildren who live in this nation who if things continue as they were, who knows what they will have to suffer or what kind of despotic government that they'll have to live under because God's people dropped the ball.